Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. Hey, good Sunday morning. I'm Michael Kelly. That's John Hancock. Morning, everyone. Yet again. No John Brown. This guy gets more vacation than Donald Trump. <laughs> Johnny Carson, I think, got a lot of vacation back in the day. Can you believe, with the week we've had, that this was the start of spring? Yeah. It seems crazy, right? Was this, I feel like this month was colder than the last one. Yeah, it's a little chilly out there. It's going to get warm soon. Well, hopefully. And it's gotten hot again in Washington, D.C., because, well, President Trump is doing what he does best. That's firing people. You'll recall that the president told us all during his campaign that I am going to hire the very best people. We are now on our third national security advisor in 14 months. That's right. John Bolton, shown right there, is taking over as national security advisor. As the president uh, did what he does best, he humiliated one of his people that had given up their life and service to him, H.R. McMaster, who's been run. John Bolton, you all will remember, was one of the architects of the Iraq War, has been one of the strongest proponents of intervention in terms of advocating for us to bomb Iran and bomb North Korea. John Hancock, President Trump, when he ran, spent a lot of time talking about the useless, sad war of Iraq. And he wasn't going to get involved in those types of conflicts again. Yet he's hired a man who's advocating for war everywhere is the national security. Well, John advisor. Bolton is an interventionist and has been and continues to be so. There's no question about that. Uh, but where Bolton and the president are on the same page has to do with the Iran nuclear deal. And you'll recall earlier with the Rex Tillerson removal and now with the H.R. McMaster removal, those were the two most senior administration officials who fought to keep the United States in the Iran nuclear deal. What Donald Trump's doing here is he's seizing control of his own foreign policy and he's going to drive, he's going to drive the train and he's going to surround himself with people, at least as it relates to Iran, who are on the same page. Now, there's still going to be some friction because John Bolton is definitely an interventionist in terms of his foreign policy. Uh, but I think a little bit of conflict in the administration is good. John Bolton also coming from the president's favorite hiring organization. That'd be Fox News. I think this is the 20th person now that's been on Fox News that the president's pulled out of the network in to go work. Is this president making his decisions on how he's going to keep the world secure based on what he watches on Fox and Friends? I don't think so, but you better be careful, Kelly. You might end up as the Secretary of Labor <laughs> no, over there. Going anywhere. Uh, speaking of labor and the rest of the federal government, massive omnibus spending bill passed this week in Congress, signed reluctantly, I think, by the president, uh, raises a deficit by $1.3 trillion over 10 years. It's a massive spending bill. It's a big spending bill. Our own Senator Claire McCaskill did not vote for the bill. Interesting. We're going to get into the politics of that yeah. in a little bit. But again, here we are. We have $1.5 trillion going on to the deficit on top of the $1.5 trillion that's coming from the tax cut. All of that in less than three months, John. This is $3 trillion worth of deficit that the Republicans are adding in three months. Oh, contrary. But here's the question. When things were, when we were having natural disasters across the country, you'll remember the big hurricane that hit New York. 
the Republicans took to the floor of the United States Senate and said, for every dollar we're going to spend, we have to make cuts elsewhere because we can no longer keep spending, stop spending, stop spending, stop spending. Three trillion dollars later, that rhetoric is gone from the Republicans. They don't seem to care about putting it on the credit card anymore. Well, they care, but the, in the House bill, the House version of this thing that passed was better than what passed the Senate. The, but the, the problem is in the Senate, they had to spend what Chuck Schumer wanted them to spend on a whole host of things. I mean, I would have voted against this bill. I would have vetoed it if I were the governor. It is wasteful spending and it's bad. Uh, but you're not going to rein in federal spending in any meaningful sense, in any long-term sense, unless and until you reform entitlements. And an unwillingness to look at entitlements but, means that we're going to be running these, you know, hundreds of billions of dollar deficits annually, and that is not good. The, Someday the bill's going to come due. The Speaker of the House is Paul Ryan, and you'll remember just two, three years ago when he was not the Speaker, he was the head of, head of the budget uh, for the Congress. Budget committee. He was always one of the strongest proponents of curbing spending, yet he's passed a spending bill now that looks like drunkenness that's coming out of the Republicans. What's happened to the rhetoric of the Republicans and that they're going to cur curtail spending? Now, I know you want to go after the entitlements that so many people have paid into that they deserve, that pay for themselves. But the fact of the matter they is, John, this is just unabashed spendency, spending by the Republicans again, yet again saying one thing and doing another. And let's not forget, during the campaign, one of my other favorite lines of the president, what are we going to do? And then all those sycophants would yell, build a wall. And who's going to pay for it? Mexico. Well, then that changed. We were going to pay for it. And guess what? There's no money for a wall in this budget. There's not much in this budget for the wall. And, and that's another problem with it. Uh, I mean, this is a bad spending bill, but it is wrong to blame it all on the Republicans, Kelly. I mean, the Democrats are the ones that are pushing all this stuff. And to get to 60 votes in the Senate, they had to give away some, you know, Schumer Schumer presence and gifts out there. Uh, it's a bad bill. Should have been vetoed. I hate to see it. Well, speaking of Republicans saying one thing and doing another, you would agree with me that free markets and no tariffs have always been a staple of conservatism. President Trump took to, well, his favorite place to talk, Twitter this week, announcing that he was putting $60 billion worth of tariffs on China. Well, China reciprocated. Now they're putting tiffs back tariffs back on top of American products, what this ultimately means is increased cost of goods to all Americans. Right. John, Democrats have spoken uh, in support of tariffs in the past. You all were the loudest voice. You said this was one of the principal things of conservatism. Donald Trump does this, not a peep, barely a whimper from any of the Republicans that this man's abandoning conservative well, that's principles. Not true. Isn't it frustrating to continue to watch the very principles that you all have spent three decades talking about get tossed out the window by a guy and then watching your uh, your jellyfish leadership in, in the Republican Congress who has no backbone to stand up for the principles you all say you care about? Well, it's just not true. The Republicans have been very clear that they don't like these tariffs. Paul Ryan has spoken out. Mitch McConnell has spoken out. Tariffs are bad policy. And these tariffs, if they go into effect, are going to hurt American consumers. That's what happens. Whenever you tax a business, and that's what a tariff is, it's a tax on business, uh, those costs get passed on to the consumers. They don't get swallowed up by the business. This will end up costing money. Now, I do think that there's still a very good option and likelihood that the president is using the threat of tariffs to negotiate trade deals. They're very close to, to getting an agreement with South Korea on a trade deal, uh, which would be in the best interest of America. And if, and if the U.S. and China, and principally the steel and, and aluminum tariffs are going to be hitting China, China 
if they can reach some kind of an agreement with China, avoid the tariffs, then I'm going to say this was a brilliant move by the president. If we have tariffs, it's not going to be good for anybody. Well, the stormy weather that exists inside the Republican Party that's being led by Donald Trump has yet another storm coming later tonight as Stormy Daniels will make an appearance to reveal some major things. John, I can't remember an interview hyped as much as this one is. And again, going to the narrative of the Republicans always talking about being the party of family values and being so critical of Donald Trump, yet now you have a porn star who's saying that she had a relationship with Donald Trump. You all don't seem to be care, care, care much about it anymore. It's a big interview tonight, isn't it? Well, it'll probably be watched. Uh, I'll be tuned into something else probably. Whatever. But, but I don't, you know, the people that voted for Donald Trump knew what they were getting. And, and, uh, and I don't think the Trump voter particularly cares about this issue one way or the other. So the Trump voter, just to keep track, is no longer a conservative, correct? I mean, based on the actions of the president, and is no longer a family values, uh, Christian-based uh, voter anymore because the Republican Party's abandoned those principles. No, that's just not true. It's just <laughs> not true. When we come back, Eric Greitens in the news. Uh, oh, another one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's trying to get that trial date moved. We'll talk about it right here on Hancock and Kelly. And welcome back to Hancock and Kelly on Sunday morning. It was earlier this week where Governor Greitens' legal team went to court trying to move the trial date up from May 14th to the first week of April. That motion was denied. Yeah, that would be the trial in terms of the indictment. Yet another family values thing where the governor has been indicted for allegedly tying up his mistress, taking a picture of her. Your side continues to say there's not much evidence there and that this con continues to be a sham. But John, it's just curious. This governor has the most expensive lawyers in the state of Missouri. Arguably the best lawyers in the state of Missouri. Ed Dowd, a strong Democrat, one of the former federal prosecutor, an incredible trial attorney. He also has Scott Rosenblum. You know Scott Rosenblum's represented yeah. everyone who's ever found trouble in the city of St. Louis, or for that matter, the entire Midwest. These are good, strong lawyers. For there to be a sham investigation, this governor sure does have a lot of expensive help well, trying he's, to he's, get him out of trouble. He's sitting through a politicized, ridiculous uh, claim here. What Kim Gardner has done by bringing trial, she doesn't have a picture. She doesn't have a you complaint. She doesn't have a police report. I do know what. This is, this is the most ridiculous miscarriage of justice I have ever seen. I, and and I, I'm glad that the governor's got a crack legal team because I predict this case is going to get thrown out on summary judgment before anything goes to trial. But I, that's, that's not the only problem that Eric Greitens has got. No. Actually, on Friday, the Attorney General, a Republican, is now investigating this is interesting. Eric Greitens as it relates to use of his charitable uh, donor list for political purposes, which is a violation of the law. Josh Hawley, the Attorney General, you may remember him. He's the one who says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to focus full-time on Attorney General. Well, he wind up running for the United States Senate. He took a break from campaigning just to come back and announce that he subpoena in it's going to subpoena 15 people from the president or from the governor's staff for interviews as it relates to this. And John, yet another problem for Eric Greitens to the point where the president didn't even invite him to his event last so, week. So here's the situation where the mission continues. This is actually a pretty interesting case. Uh, so Eric Greitens founds this mission. Uh, the mission continues. It's a charity, a 501c3 nonprofit. And he then goes out and raises money all over the country uh, and builds this thing from nothing into a, a, an organization that does great, great work. He leaves the mission, continues in 2014, 
And sometime before he announces for governor in 2015, the donor list from the Mission Continues is sent to somebody uh, in, working on his campaign at that time. Right. Uh, the Mission Continues says, we didn't authorize the list being sent, and we didn't send the list. And therein lies the problem here. Yeah, and that, uh, one of the harshest letters you will see, I mean, Eric uh, Greitens started this charity, a very noble effort that right? a lot of people, both sides of the aisle, applaud. But they threw him under the bus two weeks ago. They put out a thing saying this was not done with our authorization. It should not have gone to Eric Greitens. That clearly would be a violation of the law. Josh Hawley's investigating it. It could potentially have federal implications because it's a not-for-profit. And using that for political purposes is a violation of federal law. Boy, the cloud just gets darker and darker for Eric And I, I actually think this is a much more substantial situation than what Kim Gardner is doing. Uh, but I will also say this, Eric Greitens went out and, and built those donors, got those donors engaged, raised money from them, developed relationships with them. It is only natural that when he announces for governor, he's going to go to those people who have been supportive of everything he's ever done and ask for money. So I don't think there's anything wrong with asking those donors for money. It's, it's the existence of this list, which in the broad scheme of things is, is kind of a minor deal. One just can't help forget the nearly $20 million he spent talking about corruption and politics as usual and doing these types of tactics and going after his own party when it appears he has been doing the same thing the whole time. I predict Kim Gardner is going to look the worst of anybody when this thing's over. Eric Greitens' problems are happening on the backdrop of a United States Senate race. Josh Hawley, again, the attorney general who said, I'm not a ladder climber, I'm not going anywhere. Six months into his uh, job, he's decided he wants to run for the United States Senate. He announces on Friday he's going out with investigations. Claire McCaskill clearly making Eric Greitens just as much about this Senate race as Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley has got himself in a real pickle because his friend and a guy he donated to, Eric Greitens, is dragging him down. Yeah, I don't, I think Hawley's handling this thing very well. And, uh, I really think that he needs to show some independence here, and uh, he's going to beat Claire McCaskill. I mean, I'm just telling you. Well, you laugh, Kelly. He's going to beat Claire McCaskill. You because said that with every challenger Claire McCaskill's well, ever had, and guess what? You've been wrong every time. Third she, time she you charm, you're going to be wrong then too. You know, she, she won in '06, which was a big Democrat year. Uh, she won in 12 because we nominated Todd Aiken. And you nominated and, Josh Hawley this and, time, and you have Eric Greitens as your governor. Yes, Josh Hawley is going gonna, is gonna to defeat. She doesn't represent the people of Missouri. She just doesn't hold our values. She goes up there and she votes with Chuck Schumer. She votes with Obama. It's, that's just she, not true. She voted against the bill, the budget bill this year that you know, most of the Republicans couldn't have the backbone to do. Claire McCaskill continuing to show the independence. You know, you know when it's she, the reason she's going to get reelected. Yeah, yeah. You know what shows what, what she, when she's independent? is whenever it doesn't cost anything. Every time there's been a deciding vote on Obamacare, on cap and trade, stuff that matters, a deciding vote, she's cast the wrong vote every time. Neil Gorsuch, every single time. I wish you had this same type of harsh criticism for the president when he's acting crazy, but uh, you know, I get it. You have to do your spin. Yeah, you've got to take care of, uh, you got to take care of the home team there, Kelly. Hey, when we come back, Billionaires running against each other in Illinois and St. Louis on the decline, they say. That's next on Hancock and Kelly. And welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. It was on Tuesday of this week that we found out who's going to be in the general election for governor of the state of Illinois. Probably the most troubled state in the country. A budget that's just out of control. Uh, a governor and a legislature who aren't working together. Bruce Rauner, a billionaire who's been the governor, wound up winning his primary. 
That's J.B. Pritzker, who's a billionaire and heiress to a hotel franchise uh, that he wound up spending $50 million to win the primary race, John, against a Kennedy of all people. I mean, here we go. Two billionaires going to square off in, uh, in Springfield, Illinois, and across the whole state to decide who the governor of Illinois is. Yeah. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about this race, but I think it's more telling, John, that here we are with two billionaires. Is there no longer room for Mr. Smith to go to Washington? Is this now the, the playing field for billionaires and that's politics? Well, I don't know, but if I'm Mr. Smith, the last place I want to be is Springfield, Illinois. I mean, you think about the problems they've got over there. They don't have any money. They can't balance their budget. They can't pay the teachers. They can't do anything. Uh, this is going to be a disaster. I find it shocking that the first time that I can remember where you've had two billionaires running for a public office against each other is in Illinois, which that's got to be a thankless job. Yeah, and you have to imagine, I mean, people are, are wanting to see reform and change in Illinois. And you want somebody who understands your values. And I think J.B. Pitzker probably understands Democratic values. And I'm sure you think Bruce Rauner probably understands Republican well, he, values. Uh, he got, he but, got pushed on the right and they almost beat but, him in the primary. Billionaires. I just, you know, I just wish these guys would stick to owning NFL teams <laughs> and fight each other in the NFL and leave politics to regular people. How do two billionaires have the ability to understand the plight of everyday Illinoisans? It's clear that Bruce Rauner can't figure it out. Yeah, J.B. Pritzker's going to be a disaster, too. And, I, and he's probably the front-runner in this thing, don't you think? You would think. Well, it came out this week that St. Louis has moved from number 20 to number 21 in the rankings of largest cities. I don't think that's that big of a deal, personally. Uh, but it does portend, perhaps, uh, underlying troubles in our region. Well, it's a real problem, right? I mean, when we're not growing, this wasn't just the city of St. Louis. We're all used to hearing the stories of the city of St. Louis shrinking. This was our entire metropolitan region going down. We only gained like 500 people. This is a real problem. You either grow or die, and there are several cities around the country that we can look at that have followed the die pathway. St. Louis has got to find a way to revitalize itself. At the same time, though, John, we're seeing shots of the skyline. I don't know if you've seen the renderings of the skyline. It's going to change drastically over the next two years as two new high-rises will come on, residential high-rises in downtown looking straight into the ballpark, as well as a magnificent high-rise, uh, a beautiful thing that's being built in the Central West End right. looking into the park. All of these are rental properties, and they're not cheap. Yeah, it's hard to know. And where are the people going to? Maybe... Maybe it's all the people that are going to be working at Amazon out in St. Charles County are going to move into these things. St. Charles County, growing. Now, there's a, there's a place that is on fire and still continues to grow. But that's population that's moving from city and county right. to St. Charles. That's, this is a problem for St. Charles as well. We have to find a way to move together. And I just wonder where all these people are going to be that are going to fill up these high-rises with rents that start at like $2,000. Well, we'll find out because they're going to open up soon enough. Well, when we come back, final thoughts right here on Hancock and Kelly. Well, welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. Let's end on a positive note. On Thursday of this week, the Major League Baseball season will start as baseball begins in New York. But we here in St. Louis know it doesn't start until those Clydesdales take the field on opening day. And it was this week we had a couple, three new Clydesdales born right here in Missouri. John, I'm hopeful that these new young Clydesdales will be back next year for opening day, pulling in the World Series trophy on that wagon and starting off the new season 
But I can't wait for this season to start. Hopefully, these baby Clydesdales will have some work next how year. Long do you, how long do you have to be a baby Clydesdale in waiting before you get to pull the wagon, Kelly? I, I, I mean, no you don't know about that? No. I, no I wonder clue. if it's like two years you got to wait, three years to, before me, you're pulling. I would pulling imagine you got to grow up and get some size on you. They got to train kinda you. kind of like a young pitcher. They you got to put you down in AAA. You got to do a couple of those commercials, <laughs> exactly. you know, for, for the Super Bowl. And right. then, you're, then you're in Bush Stadium. Right. Well, it will be Bush Stadium, and it will be opening day on April the 5th here in St. Louis for the Cardinals. And uh, big news this week, Jair Munoz coming out of nowhere to make the ball club. And, uh, you know, this is a young young fellow that we got in the Stephen Piscotty trade. And nobody thought this guy was coming. He makes a team ahead of Harrison Bader, our number five prospect. And uh, he plays all eight positions. Wow. Which is, that's why he made the team. But he also hit 380 during the spring. Uh, very versatile, got good speed, got good baseball sense. So Jair Munoz, the 25th man on the Cardinal roster. Well, it may be political season, but most importantly, it's baseball season. You bet. So we'll be back next week with John Brown right here. And uh, until then, I'm sure there won't be much news happening with the White House. <laughs> the president will fire 20 governor people. or anything like that. But in case there is news, we'll be back here next week on Hancock and Kelly. Until then, Fox News Sunday is up next. Stick around.